Is everyone okay? Yeah? It's good to see you all. We've been uh, away for a few weeks. Actually, we, we were here last Sunday, but before that, we were on holiday and had a week camping in Zeeland, which wasn't as bad as I thought. So there we go. We had a good time. <laughs> when it comes to camping, I have a fairly low expectation because camping involves, you know, tents and the outdoors and things. Uh, and because I'm English, my experience of the outdoors and camping is, is just rain, basically. You know, it's just, it's just what happens in England. But uh, not so much in Holland. Actually, no, it does. It rains quite a lot here. It just, it rained. It rained. But we were fine. So <laughs> we had a good time. Right, here we go. Um, a couple of practical things before I get started. Um, we've got a few things coming up uh, this week. All through the summer, we've been doing different sort of activities, uh, even though lots of people have been away and some of our small groups haven't been quite functioning as normal. So we thought we'd put on a load of different stuff to do uh, to help us uh, get to know one another and spend some time together and just do some fun things. So we've played football and we've uh, had picnics and things like that. And then, so tomorrow evening, we're going to play Frisbee, which is great, isn't it? And apparently there's this game, Ultimate Frisbee, that I don't know how to play. So we need someone to come along who knows how to play and also someone needs to bring a Frisbee, because I don't have a Frisbee. Does anyone have a Frisbee? Well, there we go, two Frisbees in the room, wow. Do you, how many Frisbees do you need for Ultimate Frisbee? One, okay, so we're fine, we only need one. But you can both come and bring your Frisbees. Um, so there you go, so tomorrow evening, um, I don't actually know, does anyone know where we're gonna meet to do that? Oh look, there we go, it's just set us right behind me. Everybody knows, apart from me, <laughs> the Vonal Park. I don't know where in the park. We'll figure out somewhere and we'll let you know. But tomorrow evening, 7.45, we're going to have a lot of fun. Come and join us. And then on Thursday, I think, hoping, there we go. No, not that one, the other one. We are doing that as well, but don't worry about that. I'll tell you about that later. Thursday. No, not that one. Thursday. Yes. Yeah! <laughs> we're going to have a picnic at Ulster Park. There's a lovely paddling pool there, so this is... I guess mainly for families, uh, but obviously anyone's welcome to come along. 10.30 uh, a.m. this Thursday morning, a bunch of families are going to gather there, have a picnic, uh, paddle, and the weather's going to be amazing because it never rains here. So there we go. Good. Let me just get on with things. If you want to find Matthew chapter 6 in your Bible, that would be great. And then, I'm just going to have a little conversation over here with Rich, so just, mind for a moment. My phone normally does the PowerPoint and is not working, so can you sit there and do it for me? Thank you, thank you. So you didn't need to know anyone, that was all sort of behind the scenes talk, so none of you heard that. Here we go, what we're going to do is we're going to read from Matthew chapter 6, we'll read from verse 9 to verse 15, uh, then I'm going to pray, and then we'll get into it in a little bit, so... The words will appear on screen as if by magic in a moment. Something's wrong. Okay, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read it, and we will press on regardless, and then I'll pray. So Matthew chapter 6 says this. Uh, it says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts if we also, as we also have forgiven, forgiven our debtors. 
Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let me pray. God, we thank you that we can gather here and we can sing and celebrate who you are and what you've done for us. And uh, we, we're astonished. <laughs> Every time we, we, we come to you and we, we sit down and we try to understand what you've done for us, it's astonishing. It blows us away, it overwhelms us to think that you love us, to think, Jesus, that you died for us, to set us free. And we want to live in response to that, not because we have to, but because we want to, because your Holy Spirit is working within us, helping us to run after you. And part of doing that, Father, is we want to come and study your word, the Bible. We want to let it penetrate right into the very depths of our being because we believe it has the power to do that and we want it to change us so I pray that for us here every one of us in this room this morning that we would leave here having been changed by you Jesus having through your word encountered you afresh and leave here different people because you're changing us from one degree of glory to the next so we just open our hearts up to you holy spirit and say come and have your way come and have your way within us we pray amen amen you know there there are times when people will say things like um you know the 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 church is bad but jesus was a nice guy often that's if you if you went up and talked to people on the streets i did this about five or six years ago I was involved in filming a, a video and we went onto the streets of Brighton, the city I was living in at the time. And we, we, we asked people and we filmed them and we said to them, um, what do you think about Jesus? Was the question we asked. And people's overwhelming response time and time again is that most people surprisingly thought that Jesus existed. That he was, there was a man once upon a time called Jesus who walked the earth. Um, and actually, that's the, the, the evidence overwhelmingly suggests that's true. If you went and sat down with a historian and tried to research it, it's difficult to argue that someone called Jesus didn't exist 2,000 years ago. So most people said they thought that Jesus existed. They, they said they thought he was some kind of prophet. Maybe he was just like a nice guy, some kind of humanitarian. People had overwhelmingly positive things to say about Jesus. But when you've got people talking about the church, that's when they were... They were negative. You know, the church is bad. The church has twisted what Jesus has said. They twisted the message. And it's, it's, that's what people often think about Jesus. But then he says things like this. <laughs> and it, it challenges what we think. You know, if Jesus is just a nice guy, he just wants to kind of encourage us and give us a big cuddle. And then he says to us, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Jesus sometimes says some quite difficult things, actually. Some things that are quite provocative, that should challenge us, that should wake us up and think, make us think, like, oh, goodness, what's Jesus saying to us here? 
And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at that. And we're going to talk about forgiveness, particularly on that verse 12, where Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts, our trespasses, our sins, and we have also forgiven our debtors or those who've sinned against us. And if I was to ask you, I won't, but if I was to ask a question, and if I was going to say, okay, who, who here has hurt somebody this week? You've wronged somebody, you've done something wrong that's hurt somebody, or maybe you've been hurt by somebody this week. I think all of us would, have, would put our hand up, right? I know that's true for me. I've hurt people and been hurt by people this week, just because that's life, isn't it? We clash with people, we disagree with people, we have arguments, we get offended by people, people don't live up to our own expectations, we let each other down. That's just how life works, right? But, you know, it works definitely in my family, but I guess what we know as Christians, as believers, is that we can forgive one another. That's an incredibly powerful thing, to be able to forgive someone. And if you think for a moment of the effect on... The effect even on humanity, if you look at the world around us and the destruction that takes place, even this week, some of the horrible things in the news, and if you just stop and think, I wonder if some of these people learn to forgive one another, what, what a difference that would make. You know, think for a moment, maybe in your family, if you could, or in your life, in your workplace, if you could day by day live out a life of forgiveness, Think how powerful that would be <laughs> if the other people around you did that as well. Think what a difference that would make in your life. Forgiveness, forgiveness has the power to change the world that we live in. But the sad thing is, is that often our, our world doesn't know how to do it. It's lost its way. It doesn't know how to forgive people. Even when it comes to romantic relationships, You'll often hear people talking about people falling out of love, as though you can love someone and then suddenly just stop loving someone. I, I don't believe that's true. I don't believe that you, you just, the feeling just goes away and you stop loving people. I think what actually happens is that people fall out of forgiveness. That in, in romantic relationships, whether that's a marriage or something else, people just stop forgiving each other. And then bitterness and resentment and anger and frustration begins to build up. And then, yeah, I guess you probably don't feel like you're in love anymore because you don't really like each other. <laughs> but the problem isn't that they've just fallen out of love, but they've fallen out of forgiveness. They've forgotten how to do that. And, and, and even when, often when people do forgive each other, it's often a little bit flawed. I was doing some research this week I thought, I'll go onto the internet, which is never a good thing when you're trying to research a message to talk about Jesus, because the internet has some crazy things to say about Jesus. But anyway, I did some research, because I wanted to find some stories about forgiveness. You know, some powerful stories of how people have forgiven one another. And there are some good stories out there. But sadly, a, a lot of the stories about forgiveness... I mean, partly, they, they, there were many incredibly sad stories of people who'd been let down in some horrible ways, hurt in some vicious, sometimes disgusting ways. But often they weren't able to forgive the people until the person that hurt them was dead. 
or was incapacitated by some horrible illness. And then often you had these stories of forgiveness that would bubble up, but sadly there was no reconciliation of relationship because it was too late. The person was dead or incapable of any sort of relationship. And all the forgiveness really did was make the person feel a bit better about themselves. It didn't actually fix anything. But the forgiveness that we read about in the Bible is very different from that. The forgiveness we find in the Bible restores, it reconciles, it has the power to fix relationships. It's not just something to make you feel better, it's something that's powerful, that can change you. But before we learn how to forgive, the best place to start really is to see how much we've been forgiven, to see how much we've been forgiven. See, because we all need forgiveness. We all do. We all need forgiveness from people around us who we've hurt, from our family, our friends, our kids, the people we work with. We all need forgiveness. But our most pressing need is that which stands between us and God. The fact that every single one of us have failed to live up, not even just to our own standards, but to God's standards. When we've been reading through the Lord's Prayer, it starts with our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We believe in a God who's holy. Even if you're here this morning and, and you're not a believer in Jesus, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you'd probably, still, you'd probably still believe that if there was a God, that he'd be holy, right? That he'd be perfect. Because if God wasn't holy, he wouldn't be God. <laughs> If he was just a regular guy like us that made mistakes, then he'd just be a regular guy like us. <laughs> to be a God means you, you have to be holy, and our God is holy. And the Bible talks about the way that we should live, and when we read it, we know that we've all fallen short of God's plan. It says in Psalm 130, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, or if you, O Lord, should count our sins, O Lord, who could stand? Who could stand? None of us. <laughs> no one can. None, none of us can, can say, oh, well, I've, I've done it. You know, even today, I've done it. I've lived up to, I've done everything right with a completely pure motive. <laughs> we can't do that. The answer, O Lord, who could stand is no one, we can't. And we know that because we look around us and we see that humanity, the world that we live in, is deeply flawed and broken. If we look at the people around us, we see their failings, we see their mistakes. If we're brave enough to examine our own souls, our own hearts, we realize we're flawed. We're broken. We, we don't live up. We don't meet our own standards even, let alone God's standards where it talks in this passage about our trespasses or our transgressions, probably the best way to describe that would be false steps, where we just walk in the wrong direction. We know the right way to go is over here, but we go over here instead. We know the best path is this way, but we go that way. We take false steps. But the wonderful thing, it says in Psalm 130 verse three, 
if you should mark iniquities, who could stand? But then in verse 4, the very next verse, it says, but with you, talking about God, with you, there's forgiveness. There's forgiveness. There's forgiveness for all of us. And that word forgive means, it kind of means to send away, to release. And the Bible has some amazing things to say about this. Let me just read a few. It gives some really vivid pictures of forgiveness. Psalm 103 says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west, it's a long way. He's removed our transgressions from us. Isaiah 44 says, this is God speaking, I have blotted out your transgressions. Kind of rubbed out, erased, gone. Psalm, uh, Isaiah 38 says, but in love you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction you have cast all my sins behind your back. That's a great picture of God just taking all our sins and just casting them away, throwing them away. Colossians 2 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. All our offences, all our mistakes, the mess, our full steps, all of it, all of it has been forgiven, removed, blotted out, cast away, cancelled, put away, pardoned, God is our judge for those of us who were believers in him, who've put our trust in him. God has said to us, not guilty. It's amazing. I did it, I was, a, once in, in the UK, I was on jury duty in the UK. You, you can, uh, it might not happen, but every now and again, people get a letter and it says, you need to be on jury duty and you have to give it to your boss and um, unless you've got some pretty severe reasons why not, uh, you have to leave work for a couple of weeks and go and sit on a jury in a court. Uh, I did that for two weeks, and there were a couple of cases that we had to sit on. And the first case was a man who was, he was I think he was Greek. Um, he'd moved to the UK because he'd, uh, he'd met an English girl who was on holiday in Greece. He was a restaurant owner, uh, and he'd given it all up to follow this girl. She got pregnant. And then they broke off their relationship. She moved across to the other side of the country. And he was left in, in England without a job, um, trying to somehow get back with this girl who didn't seem to want to get back with him. His life was a bit of a mess. And he got involved in dealing drugs. And this, the court case was about this. And it went over two days. And the, the first day, I went home in the evening. And um, you're not allowed to talk about the case. But I really wanted to with Joe, but I couldn't. So I lay awake, I couldn't get to sleep all night because I desperately wanted him to be innocent. I did. <laughs> because when you hear such a heartbreaking 
story. And I guess that's why they deliver it in the court case, to try and win over the jury. His lawyer did a good job. And I desperately wanted him to be innocent. And I don't know if you've seen the film, what's the film called about, is it 12 Angry Men or whatever? About the, the jury where, where one juror wins over the rest of them. Where initially they all go into their jury's room to discuss and everybody wants to, to kind of get the guy off, uh, not to, to, to uh, convict him. And the one guy argues the rest of them round and wins the case and this guy goes free. And I wanted to be that one guy. <laughs> And I went, into the court, I went into the court the next day, and then the, we, the jurors, went into our little room to discuss it. And I started to try and argue it, and very quickly realized he was guilty. <laughs> like, he was. The evidence was overwhelmingly against him. There's no question he was guilty. And that's what happened. He was guilty. He was convicted. He's probably still in prison now. I wanted him to be innocent, but he, he wasn't. And the problem for us is that no matter how much we would like to think that we could or should be innocent, that the bad things that have happened are other people's fault, that we're not to blame. We know really, if we were to sit down and really examine ourselves, we know we're guilty. And if we were in that courtroom with God as our judge, you have to say, well, you've broken these rules. You're guilty. But we know the wonderful message about Christianity is, is that Jesus has walked in and stood in our place. He took the punishment that we deserved and we've, we can go free. We can walk free, innocent, forgiven. That's the, the wonder of forgiveness that the, the record of debt against us with all its legal demands, as Colossians says, canceled, gone, we're forgiven. But even more wonderful about that is we're not just forgiven and set free to go free, but then God's called us into relationship with him. There's forgiveness and then there's reconciliation. God wants to know us. That's what he's made us for, so we can know him. To have a relationship with him. And that's, that's what I've... That's what I want to say this morning, that forgiveness not only has the power to set people free, but it has the power to restore relationships, first with God and then with each other. It works both kind of vertically, if you could think of it like that, and horizontally. 2 Corinthians says, Jesus was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, in other words, by Jesus not counting our sins against us, he's been reconciling us. He's been drawing us back to him so we can have renewed relationship with him. Because you see, sin, these trespasses, these mistakes we made, it, in community life, in family life, just in life in general, sin is destructive. Even things that you do that you think, no one needs to know about this. This doesn't hurt anybody. This is just me. That's destructive. It's because it's selfish. Because you're suddenly excluding people from a certain part of your life. Sin's destructive. Sometimes I've come across stories or I've met people or even friends of mine who have done some silly things and, and have hurt people and have not fixed it properly. And it's a bit like watching a 
It's like a bomb goes off in their family and the bits of shrapnel go everywhere. And that person maybe thought, well, what I'm doing, it, it only, only really hurts me, so therefore it's okay. But in reality, it ended up hurting their wife and their kids, grandparents, friends, neighbors, work colleagues. You can see the destruction just kind of ripple out all over the place. And that's what sin can do, it's dangerous. And the main thing that sin does is it kind of creates barriers between us and other people. We, we, we put walls up to, to, to block other people out. Our sin separates us from the people around us. You know, if you were to go into your office, you know, I remember working uh, in, in, in an office full of people. I remember once being in, in a staff meeting uh, and my boss was was thanking us for something that had been done, which I knew that someone else on the team had done, but yet another person took credit for it. Uh, and it was so unfair. Um, and you could see that the person who should have got the credit was hurt because this other person was taking credit for what they'd done. But then also, as the weeks went by, or as the day went on even, you notice that the person who took credit, they also felt a bit guilty. <laughs> because they realized that they shouldn't have done that. And it, it, for the moment in the meeting, it felt nice to get the praise from their boss. But as the day went on, they just felt guilt and shame and embarrassment. And you could see between the two of them, these walls suddenly went up. That on the one hand, the one person who'd been hurt, there's this wall of kind of bitterness and anger. How could you do that? Goes up and blocks relationship. But on the other side, the guy was building a wall of guilt and shame and embarrassment. So you've got these two walls that go up and these two people suddenly can't have the same relationship anymore because all these emotions, all this pain is getting in the way. Do you see what I'm saying? That's what sin does. It creates barriers, walls between us. And what forgiveness can do and repentance is it, it tears those walls down. It's the same as, as a parent with my kids' If one of our, our kids um, does something uh, to offend me or to Joe, if we just leave it and we just say, ah, well, you know, then it happens again and we just go, ah, well, that's fine, not a problem. The walls begin to build up because we're frustrated that they keep hurting us again and again. They keep being disobedient again and again. And they begin to feel guilty again and again and these walls go up. Whereas... If we fix it, and the child comes to us and says, sorry, Dad, I shouldn't have done that, and we say, well, I forgive you, let's, let's move on, the relationship's fixed, and we can move on together. We can knock those walls down. But the thing is, there are, what I want to help us to see this morning is that, because this all sounds very easy, but there are some barriers to forgiveness, right? Because we all know it's not really that easy that we've all struggled to do this and there are some barriers that can stop us from forgiving people properly. The first barrier is therapy, right? This might sound a bit weird, therapy. Where we try and use forgiveness as something that's just kind of therapeutic, that just tries to make us feel a bit better, that ends up being a bit of a barrier to forgiveness. It's just kind of pretend forgiveness. Because the therapeutic forgiveness 
as I was talking about at the start, that waits till someone's dead before you forgive them. Or it says things like, what I need to do is I just need to forgive myself. I've said that. Or sometimes I've heard people say, I need to forgive God. But those things, that's not real forgiveness. You're just saying those things to make yourself feel better or to try and make yourself feel a bit better. It's like you get... Our kids do this all the time. I don't know, you, you, you're sure you have it in the summer. It's not been as bad this year, but there are lots of mosquitoes in the city, and particularly in the night, you get bitten. Um, um, and you can get this cream that doesn't do anything, right? And you put it on the bug bite and nothing changes. And if our kids get bitten, they're desperate for the cream. And they'll, they'll take it to bed with them just in case. And then you'll, they'll come out in the morning and be kind of lathered with this stuff all over them. And it doesn't do anything. <laughs> it doesn't. Maybe it does for you, but for me, it's just like, oh, it doesn't do anything. But they rub it on anyway to try and make themselves feel a bit better. And that's what this kind of pretend therapeutic forgiveness is like. You rub it on, but it doesn't actually fix anything. It might make you feel a little better for a little bit of time, but it doesn't really work. Because if we try and say, you know, I just need to forgive myself, I've said this, but it's not true. <laughs> If we need to forgive ourselves, what we're basically saying is we need to forgive uh, or we need to receive forgiveness from our true God, who is me, right? You're putting yourself in the place of God. The same thing happens if you say, I just need to forgive God for these bad things that happen. You're kind of saying that, that somehow God's let down you and your kingdom that God's frustrated your plans and your will. And yet in the Lord's Prayer, we've been learning to pray, your will be done, your kingdom come, not my will be done. We don't need to forgive God. We need to receive his forgiveness for what we've done. See, forgiveness, this might be hard for some of you to hear, but forgiveness, it's not actually about how you feel. It's not. It's not. You don't have to wait until you feel like forgiving someone to forgive someone. Forgiveness is a decision. It's a choice. You decide to do it. It doesn't mean that it doesn't affect how you feel. And actually you'll find after you've made that decision, then all of a sudden you you can feel a, a sense of joy and freedom and release rush in. And suddenly you think, oh, that wasn't as hard as I thought it was. But initially, often, forgiveness is a decision that we have to make. It's a choice, something that we decide to do. Because that can be the first barrier to forgiveness is kind of pretend therapeutic forgiveness. The second barrier can be just bitterness. You can think, I just don't want to forgive them. I felt like that. I just don't want to. Why should I? Why should I forgive them? Or maybe you just, maybe, maybe even you've, you've tried, but really you know, you might have said it, but really you know you haven't. That really you, you just feel like you can't forgive them. It's just too painful. You know, they don't deserve it. I'll never recover. And sometimes there are things that we have to carry that, that the hurt that someone's caused to us is something that we have to carry. And we know I'm going to have to carry this my whole life, what, they, what they've done to me. Why should I forgive them? If I've got to carry this thing my whole life, why should I let them go when I still have to have the pain of this? But Romans 12 says, Beloved, never 
avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Luke 6 says, love your enemies. That could sound easy when enemies are people far away, but when enemies become people close to you, that's very hard. Love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great. You'll be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. If, if we're holding on to bitterness, we're kind of saying that God's grace is enough for you, but not enough for them. You're saying his grace is powerful enough for you, but not for them. And actually, you're diminishing God's power. You're saying, well, he's just not powerful enough to forgive them. Or we're putting himself, ourselves in his place. We've decided that we're the judge. But Jesus addresses this in the Lord's Prayer and he says those hard, difficult things because this is serious. This is really serious. If we're holding on to bitterness and a grudge, it will just, it will, it will destroy you little by little. It will just shrink your heart. It will turn it into a rock. It won't do you any good. And really, it just shows, if we can't forgive people, it just really shows that we've not really understood the forgiveness that we've received from God. If we really understand what Jesus has done for us, then we can forgive because we know how much we've been forgiven. The third barrier to stop us forgiving is unrepentance. And this is a really important question because you can ask, but what if, what if they're not sorry? <laughs> Which that will happen to you. I know it's happened to me, where you know that they've hurt you, but they, for whatever reason, won't say sorry. They're not repentant. They, they, they're not going to ask for your forgiveness, either because they don't realize it or they just don't want to, for whatever reason. Um, and the reality is we, we want to see relationships restored and reconciled, but sadly that's not always possible. If someone holds out against you, then... What we try and teach our kids to do is we say to them, because <laughs> this happens all the time, school and in classrooms and even at home, we say to our kids, your response is your responsibility, right? You're in charge of how you respond. You, we, we can't control how other people respond. Romans 12 says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all, live in peace with all, as far as it depends on us. And it may be that the relationship can't be reconciled for whatever reason, that they'll never be sorry, but we can still have a, an attitude of forgiveness towards them. That's an important thing to do. The next barrier to forgiveness is, um, I guess, what you could call kind of automatic forgiveness. What I'm kind of saying is, oddly, forgiveness, forgiveness itself can be a barrier to forgiveness. What I mean is, is that forgiveness is not cheap. It's not cheap. 
we can do this. I'll do this with Joe. Sometimes I'll, I'll hurt her and I'll just say, oh, I'm sorry. I'm not really sorry. And she'll say, oh, I forgive you. But she hasn't really forgiven me. And then maybe five, ten minutes, an hour later, a day later, we then have to talk about it and realize, we have to talk it through and realize, no, I, no, I really am sorry. And this is why I'm sorry. And then she has to forgive me. And these are the reasons why she's forgiven me. You know, we have to work it out together. Hopefully that's true of your relationship as well, not just mine. But it happens. But forgiveness isn't cheap. Because as, as we looked at, it's about cancelling someone's debt. If you could imagine, perhaps even in some circumstances, you need forgiveness because you literally need to cancel someone's debt. That someone owes you money and they've not paid it back or they're not able to pay it back. And you have to release it. You have to forgive them and let them go. That you, you still have to carry the burden for that. That's what happened. Forgiveness isn't cheap. Sometimes we forgive people, but that doesn't, the, the issue is still the thing they've done remains. That doesn't necessarily disappear. And by cancelling their debt, we kind of have to sort of absorb it to ourselves. We have to say, well, I'm going to cover that now. But I'm willing to let it go. I'm willing to release you from your obligations, but aware that it still affects, affects you. And it's easy for us to kind of offer sort of kind of an unconditional automatic forgiveness. I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. And not really mean it. And if we do that, it just opens the door again for bitterness to come in, frustration to come in, for anger to come in. If we've not really forgiven them, if we just kind of mumble the words, it can just become a barrier to true forgiveness. So let's look at, uh, there's a few barriers to forgiveness, but let's talk about how we should forgive people. Um, and the first thing to realize is that the Bible teaches us that we should forgive as Jesus has forgiven us. It's the same way God's lavished his forgiveness on us. That's the model for us to follow. That's how we should forgive others. So there's a few, a few ways that we can do it. First of all, forgiveness involves, as we've looked at, canceling the debt. As we looked at in Matthew 6, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Also, forgiveness means that forgiveness, true forgiveness of how Jesus forgives us, it doesn't remember. It doesn't remember. It doesn't mean that it forgets. It doesn't mean we just have to kind of suddenly wipe our memories and erase it. I don't know about you, I can't do that. But the decision we make is we, we choose not to recall it anymore. It says that God doesn't, he, he doesn't remember our sins. It doesn't say that God's just forgotten. He's just absent-minded and he's left them somewhere. He's God's chosen not to recall them, not to remember them. And we can have these sort of tapes that play in our mind, you know, where you can run over conversations, where you can play back moments in time that have happened. Even when you've forgiven them, even when you feel like you've moved on, they can come back again and kind of haunt you. Sometimes we just have to choose not to let that happen. We make a decision. I don't, I'm not going to remember those things anymore. Jesus' forgiveness for us is regular. We need to learn how to offer forgiveness again and again and again. It's limitless. It doesn't have vengeance to us. And a helpful way to do this is, is to realize that forgiveness is it's about 
making promises to another person. When you forgive them, you're making promises to them. There are four promises that we can make. First of all, the first promise is, I will not dwell on this incident. That's what you can do. When you forgive someone, you can essentially make a promise to them. I'm not going to dwell on this incident. God's chosen not to remember, so I'm going to choose not to remember. I'm not going to dwell on this. The second one is, I will not bring up this incident again and use it against you. <laughs> I read about a couple that were in, they were doing marriage counseling and, um, and the, the marriage counselor was trying to get them to talk and the conversation was getting a bit heated uh, and the wife said to the husband, the problem with you is you always get historical. And the marriage counselor said, you mean hysterical, right? You, you always get hysterical. And she said, no, the problem is he always gets historical. <laughs> He's always bringing up all the things that I've done. He's always kind of going through the archives and the history and pulling up all the negative stories. And we can do that, right? But actually, when we forgive someone, we promise that I'm not going to bring up this again. I'm not going to hold it against you. I'm not going to use it against you. Third one is, I'll not talk to others about this incident. Because sometimes we can forgive and we can reconcile and move on. But then we really want to tell someone about it. We want someone to hear our side of the story. We want someone to empathize with us. Actually, when, when, we, when we forgive someone, we're saying, look, I'm not going to gossip about this. I don't need to tell anybody else. I might want to, but I'm going to choose not to. I don't, I don't need to, to let the world know about this. It might be from time to time. There, there are one or two people that you just need to talk to to help you process it. Well, that's okay. But go and tell the person that you've forgiven. Look, thank you for forgiving me. Is it okay if I go and talk to someone about this to help me process it? That's perfectly acceptable. But don't just go behind their back and gossip about them, talk about them. We're making a promise here. I'll not talk to others about this. The last one, I'll not let this incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. Again, that's a difficult promise to make, but that's an important one to say, look, I don't want this to get away in the way of this relationship. We're gonna commit to keep building our relationship, to keep loving each other. I'm not gonna let this stand between us. Now, I guess <laughs> the, the nagging question kind of hanging over all of this is those first two verses, verses four, uh, last two verses, 14 and 15, where it says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, it's important to say that what we believe, Christianity, it's not a religion. We're not religious people, okay? Because religion says, I forgive, therefore I will be forgiven. That's what, if, if we were religious, we would say, I, 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 will, I obey, so therefore that I can be accepted by Jesus. I, I'll forgive people so that Jesus will forgive me. That's not the gospel. We don't believe that. That's religion. The gospel says, I'm forgiven, Therefore, I forgive. 
We forgive people because we've been forgiven. We, it's not that God's divine forgiveness is dependent on our human forgiveness. Forgiven people forgive. Because as we looked at earlier, God's, God's a judge. It's part of who he is. He's a judge. And this judge, has, as we've already looked at, he's already sentenced Jesus to take the blame for us, to take the punishment for us. He's already forgiven us. He's already set us free. And that, that, that was a, a one-time event, and our status before God now is we're, we've been made holy. All right, we've been justified. We've been forgiven. We've been forgiven. You can see the, the position of this in the Lord's Prayer. We've already prayed, our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Give us today our daily bread. And then forgive us our sins. It's not, it's not the first thing on the list. We get to it later as we pray. Jesus doesn't say the first thing you need to do when you come to me is ask for forgiveness. Sometimes we can feel like that. Our hearts are so heavy that we just want to come and confess. But first of all, we come and worship. That's how Jesus teaches us to pray, just to come to him in worship, knowing that we're accepted, knowing that we're loved. But at the same time as God being a judge, he's a father. He's a father. And how does a parent treat a disobedient child? He doesn't do two things. He doesn't, he doesn't kick him out of home. I don't say to my seven-year-old, that's enough, away you go. Go and fend for yourself. Go run feral. I don't do that. I'm not the best parent, but hopefully I'm a, I, I do a good job and I don't do that. That's not what parents do. But at the same time, if I'm a good parent, I don't just say, oh, well, you know, I'm just going to forget that. I'm just going to pretend I didn't notice. And just let them keep being disobedient and just pretend it's not happening. Just turn a blind eye. <laughs> because we're not... A part of our job as a parent is to discipline them. We think discipline's a bad thing. It's not. It's a good thing. We're training them. We're teaching them. And God's the same with us. He's a good father. He doesn't kick us out of home. But in the same way, he wants to train us, to teach us, to discipline us. And sometimes what happens is, if, if we're refusing to forgive others, we're walking on dangerous ground because we're walking out of the will of God. We're sinning against him. And he doesn't kick us out of home. But what we've done is we've, the same way that we can build barriers between us and people, we build a little barrier between us and God. I don't know if you found it. I found this. There have been situations where I know I've not forgiven people. I suddenly find that even just prayer becomes a bit more tricky. I feel like I just can't connect with God. I just can't relate to God. This is because I'm letting things get in the way. And God as our Father is saying... You need to ask for forgiveness. You need to forgive those people and we need to come and ask forgiveness for him. Because what this prayer is leading us to is <laughs> Jesus teaches us this prayer of forgiveness because he wants us to get the most out of our relationship with our Father. That's what this prayer is leading us to, to come and enjoy being with him. You can enjoy being with God. You can. That's what prayer is about, just enjoying to be with him, 
It's not just reeling off a list of things to do or things for God to do. <laughs> Prayer can be about just coming and being with your Father, enjoying being with Him. And Jesus absolutely wants us to get the most out of that. He doesn't want anything to be standing between us and God. And our status will remain that we've been made holy, but we put things up on our own side that stop us. So let me put it another way. Sometimes when you sin, you feel like you can't pray. Do you know that feeling? You feel like you shouldn't be allowed to. That's what I'm talking about. That's what you've done. You've put up a barrier between you and God. God hasn't put up the barrier because he's forgiven you, but you've put up a barrier. And God says, you need to wipe that away. You need to come and ask for forgiveness, realize what Jesus has done for you, and then enter into a relationship with him again. And what happens is, I don't want to make light of this. Forgiveness for some of you will be incredibly hard, will be incredibly difficult. But what happens is, is when you forgive people, that's when God comes to heal and restore you, to come and fix that which was broken. Not immediately, but sometimes immediately, sometimes little by little, God will come and rebuild and restore you. If you don't do that, if you don't forgive them, then God won't do that. But if you come and say, look, I just I want to forgive that person, God will come and begin to fix you and help you. Let me just finish by reading a story. This is a wonderful story of, uh, I don't know, I'm sure you guys have heard of a lady called Corrie Ten Boom, who lived in, she lived in Harlem during the Second World War. You can go to Harlem now, you can visit um, where she lived has been turned into a museum. And her and her father, and I think her sister, maybe a few other members of her family, they, they hid Jews during the Second World War to, to guard them from the Nazis. Um, but they were discovered by the Nazis. Her, uh, her dad, her sister Betsy, were sent to a con concentration camp in Germany. Her dad and her sister Betsy both died in the concentration camp, and she survived. And after the, the war, she wrote this story. Let me read it to you. She says, It was at a church service in Munich that I saw him, the former SS man who'd stood guard at the showroom door in the processing center at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I'd seen since that time. And suddenly it was all there, the room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, Betsy's pain-blanched face, and he came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, he said. To think that, as you say, he has washed my sins away. And his hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I, who'd preached so often about the need to forgive, I kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. It's a good prayer to pray. Forgive me, help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing. Not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. This is an even better prayer to pray. 
Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. <laughs> As I shook his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. So I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on him. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. Let me pray. God, we, th we thank you so much for the forgiveness that we've received in you. And um, we want to forgive because we've been forgiven. And we want to take this seriously. We want to read those words and let them be a warning to our heart. We don't want to carry unforgiveness around within us because we know it out will damage our relationship with other people, but it will damage our relationship with you. We don't want that to happen, God. So I pray that you would help us to know your forgiveness for us and then you'd help us to forgive others. Even those most painful of circumstances, I pray that you'd teach us how to even pray, God, give me your forgiveness. I can't, but I know that you can. By your grace, would you help me to forgive? Help us to learn how to forgive regularly, again and again and again. Even when we keep being hurt again and again and again. Help us to learn how to keep forgiving, knowing that you forgive us again and again and again. When we make the same mistakes over and over and over, your love for us is limitless. Help us to forgive people in the same way. We want to love people in the same way that you love us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.